0: Listening to the Tune in Talk Podcast, episode 17, interview with animator Adam Taves. and welcome to the Tune In Talk podcast your rendezvous for animation interviews brought to you by Fanboy Nation I am your host Whitney Grace and I am so glad that you decided to download and spend some time with me today Today's show is the result of what happens when you bring an animation fan who happens to run a podcast together with an animator who does fantastic work on one of her favorite shows on a Friday night when she's using brand new recording equipment and he is recording said interview in his studio where he works every day. And again, it's Friday night. And on Friday nights, people go a little loopy, a little crazy. Sometimes, you know, stuff happens on a Friday night. I mean, there's a Katy Perry song about it called Last Friday Night. I'm not, I'm not going to sing that. But um, basically what happened is it was a Friday night, new recording equipment. He was, recor- um, he, he was recording at his studio, and people were dropping by throughout the interview, and the equipment kept malfunctioning. And all I can say is Adam Taves you are not only a gentleman you have a sense of humor your coworkers sound like they're great to work with but you are an all around good sport. So today's guest is Adam Taves he is an animator on one of my favorite TV shows Archer which is made By Atlanta based animation studio Floyd County Productions, and judging by not only the breadth of talent that work there and the zaniness, but they produce some really awesome shows, and Archer is one of them. Guest on today's show is Adam Taze, and he works on an illustrator on Archer. Archer is a black humor series about an uh, international spy and the company he works for, and just the oddball slash inappropriate slash unrealistic yet yet hilariously funny situations that happen when you work in an international spy ring. Uh, the main character is Sterling Archer, who is voiced by the same actor who does Bob and Bob's Burger so what I've always found incredibly funny is that on Bob's Burger um, the voice act the character Bob is a very wholesome very normal kind of dad character who is a cook and then he goes on the other extreme end and voices a very lewd very crass very <laughs> debonair uh, spy named Sterling Archer. I like to describe Adam's career in animation is that he's worked in the more avant-garde, more independent type of animation. And he's worked on a lot of the shows you've seen on Cartoon Network, uh, Squidbillies, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. And these are usually made by some smaller studios. They get into syndication and they ramp up a huge fan following. But you don't often hear a lot about them as you would some of the bigger shows that you, you get on the networks. And and what I find very cool and also very insightful about Adam's career is he's been very successful by staying away from some of the bigger studios. And what I learned by talking with him is that there is a very big well, it's kind of small at the moment, but big in terms of how it is growing and developing, animation community down in Atlanta, Georgia. And when it comes to Atlanta, Georgia, I mean, I think of, you know, Dragon Con, uh, Coca-Cola, America's Mart, uh, Gone with the Wind, Jack Foxworthy, Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead. But I don't think about animation. But... I guess it makes more sense when you think about it, because, but as I have learned, it does make sense because Turner Media is based in Atlanta. Turner Media is responsible for things, you know, like the Cartoon Network and TBS and other stations that I enjoy. And it's one of those cities that's a very big metropolis, and what happens in very big metropolises, I know, is they draw entertainment, and animation is a growing form of entertainment, so it does make sense. And what you will learn in today's interview is how that industry is developing down there, as well as how Adam has seen it grow for firsthand, as well as his experience working on Archer, and you know what happens when you gather an animation fan, malfunctioning equipment um an animator and some of his coworkers together on a friday night uh so this interview can be a little spotty in places but it is full of information that will please any archer fan as well as any animation fan who is interested in the general industry down in atlanta so without further ado here is the interview
1: My name is Adam Taves. Uh, the last name looks like Toes, but I grew up most of my life getting that, and I am fine with responding to it. Um, and I am currently working at Floyd County Productions, working on the sh- season six of Archer. Um, I just recently, last year, uh, worked as art director on Chosen, which uh, followed up Archer in its 10, 10, time slot. And uh, before that, I actually started off working on Aqua Teen Hunger Force and Squidbillies, and uh, for a very briefly working uh, at Cartoon Network as an intern on Harvey Birdman uh, years ago. Um, but Atlanta has been where I've called home for the last uh, five or six years and just doing an animation here.
0: So that's <laughs> where we met at the New York—not the New York Comic Con. We met at Dragon Con uh, 2014. Yes. And tell me what you were there for.
1: Uh, so uh, this last year, uh, I actually got an artist booth with Todd Redner, um, who also works here at Floyd County. Uh, Todd is an amazing artist and amazing animator who actually worked for years and years and years as the animation director um, and basically lead designer on uh, Aqua Hunger Force. was actually one of the guys that hired me at Radical for my first gig. Um, and we actually we decided this year that you know what? We've gone to Dragon Con for years now, and every time we go, we always hit up the artist alley and we always hit up the galleries. And so we said, "You know what, man? We got artwork. Let's just split the cost of a table and go in and, and sell smart work this year." Um, so that's what we did. We ended up splitting a booth um, and uh, selling some artwork and getting to meet the fans was fantastic. And it was just it was it was a great experience.
0: That's really neat. I. You- I, don't, I mean, I don't think of animators as going to set up an artist booth because I think of them as mostly motion artists. Mm-hmm. And I don't think of – I know better now, but when I was younger <laughs> – I know better now. Okay. <laughs> but when I was younger uh, a year ago or two years mm-hmm. ago, however you say.
1: So young, back, back in the day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I used to think all of their art was – was just on film and you couldn't capture Mm. it on like a canvas or something unless it was a, you know, screenshot. So that artists, animators are also, I guess you could say static artists as well. Mm. I don't, yeah, I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that it just says the type of medium.
1: No, absolutely. And it's actually, it's quite interesting. Once, once I started getting into the professional side of the industry, you know working real jobs that, that had real budgets attached to them and real deadlines. Um, but seeing the variety of people that worked on the show, uh, the skill sets that they brought to the show, you know say you have 14 people that are on the animation staff, well cool. Uh, seven of them are trained traditionally in animation. Uh, five of them are illustrators who know how to you know, work in Adobe Illustrator. And that's what the show calls for. But they're not necessarily animators. Um, And then you have three people that are motion graphics animators that aren't necessarily working with any pencil and paper or with uh, 3D rigs and Maya or anything. Um, But it's kind of that variety that can put a really special team together given the project.
0: Let's talk about how your career first started. I mean, when I think of animation, I think California, I think Florida, and of course, those are all associated with Disney. But why is Atlanta a center for animation?
1: That is a great question. And it's actually one that uh, being an animator in Atlanta is something that I've tried to pay attention to. Um, I think that currently right now, a a big draw for Atlanta being a center for animation is there's a great tax incentive uh, that's happening within the city. It's, you know, why you're seeing a lot more movies and TV shows um, coming here and and setting up shop Um, is because I think just financially from a budget standpoint, Atlanta is pretty favorable in terms of uh, getting a decent quality product. I would say that, you know, you compare Atlanta to a New York or an L.A., And you think, well, you know, the quality may not be as good or the talent in Atlanta is not going to be as strong as California or as New York. Um, And I think that there's a certain truth to that in that the people that are in California and New York are there because that's where the work was. And that's where maybe they've been spending most of their time or you had somebody that went out of college and they knew that California was the place to be. So they go there and that's where they established their life. And that's just kind of where the hub is. Um, but uh, you know, Atlanta right now is gotten incredibly strong. Uh, I guess I, I don't want to speak for all of the industries, but I know the animation industry right now in Atlanta is uh, fantastic. You know, there's a crew not only here at Floyd County, but over at Turner and, um, uh, bento Box, Awesome Inc. Uh, and, you know, that's not even counting all the smaller studios that are kind of up and coming within the city. You know, the talent that's here in the city is some of the best, in my opinion. You know, hardworking, uh, creative outside-the-box thinking. You know, because it's becoming the new place, I think, where animation is looking to find a home, there's a lot of creative problem-solving that comes with being, you know, for lack of a better term, new to the game. You know, Atlanta certainly had an animation scene, but I think it's it's gaining more and more momentum, which I personally couldn't.
0: Do you think Atlanta is becoming more a new Hollywood on the East Coast?
1: Uh, that is a, another good question. Um, I think that there is a sense that the talent knows that there's work here. And when I say talent, you know, I mean the animators, the people that are in the studio, um, uh, putting in the long hours getting the work done they see that there's work here and i think traditionally the artists will kind of migrate or travel wherever the money is you know wherever the paycheck is uh, especially younger artists especially kind of have that nomad mentality where they're not necessarily putting down roots anywhere they'll go with they'll go where the uh, where the work is in terms of it becoming a new hollywood uh, i think that that would depend entirely on the culture of the city and I think when I say that, I mean the people that are in charge of writing the checks, the people that have the money, uh, if they find that Atlanta is successful enough or consistently successful enough to make a big investment in something like, uh, you know, three studio layout in the middle of downtown or setting up. I, I know that the film industry, especially, uh, you know, buying warehouses and setting up lots um, Whether or not that's financially viable, I think will determine, uh, depending on the trend of executives and producers, whether or not Atlanta becomes that new East Coast Hollywood. Um, But I think, you know, from a a purely romanticized perspective, yeah, I, I think Atlanta has incredible potential to be the hot spot on the East Coast You know, especially because in terms of you are thinking distance, you know, Atlanta's right in that middle ground between California and New York. And if, you know, New York was the old Hollywood of the East Coast, well, Atlanta kind of has that, you know, split between if you need to get a plane ticket, it might be a little bit cheaper from Atlanta to go all the way to California. So, you know, Atlanta has a lot of good things going for it. Uh, So I I personally would like to see Atlanta become, you know, the East Coast Hollywood. That'd be great.
0: I think one of the reasons why that... Atlanta is kind of becoming this new hot spot for entertainment has to do with Adult Swim. Would you agree with that assumption?
1: Um, You know, I I think that Adult Swim has been a really key figure for the city. Um, I think that a lot of Atlanta's um, heavy lifting is probably done by Turner, you know, with Cartoon Network. Um, You know, if there was no Cartoon Network, there would be no Adult Swim. Um, I think that Adult Swim specifically, if you're looking at certain demographics or certain audiences, I do think that there is a younger audience that connects more with Adult Swim stuff than uh, you know anything that might be airing on Cartoon Network. And that's taking nothing away from Disney or Nickelodeon or, or, or Cartoon Network stuff. Um, even IFC is running some animation now. Uh, but, I, yeah, you know, there's a popularity to Adult Swim's content. I remember, you know, watching almost religiously coming home after school and, and turning on Toonami uh, just because that had an animation block that was so different for me. You know, growing up, it was a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and it was a lot of Batman the Animated Series. And, you know, before that, was He-Man. Um, and and that kind of was a staple for me for a long time, you know, that it was – You'd get a little bit of Spider-Man and X-Men, even though if you go back and look at that animation, maybe not the best, but the content was kind of new and original. And I kind of found that I, especially as the Internet started to emerge, looking for new that new content, that stuff that hasn't been seen before, it's always what drew me. And I'll tell you what, right now one of my favorite shows is Rick and Morty. That show is, is hilarious. And, you know, good on it for Adult Swim, continuing the trend of always trying to put something out there that's new and different and it's not like anything else on TV. And I think that's been, in a, in a way, has been very beneficial for Atlanta, yeah.
0: How did you get involved with uh, Turner and Adult Swim?
1: Um, yeah, uh, at my like I was saying, I had an incredibly brief internship at Turner uh, in 2006 or 2007 um, uh, through uh, some family friends I got in contact with a man named Victor Beitzel, who I think at the time was head of visual effects or head of um, just effects animation at Turner. And uh, I actually remember it was my, my freshman or sophomore year of college um, just calling up Victor on the phone. He said, yeah, you know, whenever you – because I was working too at the time being a broke college student. Uh, and and remember, sure i saying, yeah, whenever you have free time, come on down. Uh, you know, we'll we'll set you up with some with some test work, and we'll set you up with some animation work, and you can kind of just see how uh, how the environment works. Um, and I remember getting to Turner to the first day and having to go through security and getting a badge. Um, and I remember Victor coming up uh, to get me because I was like, I had to call him and go, Victor, they're not letting me in. I need a badge, and I don't have a badge. You told me to come here, and I I don't know what's happening. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll be right up. I remember him coming up and he was wearing, uh, you know, like a really comfortable pair of flip-flops and he had shorts and he had a hoodie on. <laughs> I was like, wait, is, do you get to wear this at work? Nobody says anything to you? And know, like, I went to art school. And obviously the crowd that's at art school, you're, you're going, oh, yeah, well, you know, everyone shows up at at uh, the animation hall dressed in all various sense of garb. You know, they could be sleeping there all night, so they got their PJs on. But apparently, that translates to the professional world, too. And I, I you know, getting in there for the first time and seeing the layout of all the desks crunched together, and everybody's desk was so decorated and had little memorabilia and, and, and vinyls of characters and posters. And people were playing music out loud that was like good music and not old, crappy music. And it was just. So eye-opening at a young age to see that a professional work environment, really, when you break it down, is no different than drawing at your house or, or drawing at a study hall or or drawing at the library wherever you were. It's, it had that same sense of community, that same sense of, of fostering a, a creative environment. And so, uh, doing my internship there, and I mean, I even in quotes put it loosely, internship. You know, I probably went in seven or eight times, Uh, but at that time, it was right when Harvey Birdman was coming to its uh, finale, and uh, I remember Victor a couple days going, hey, yeah, we're really, we're really behind, and uh, you know you've been doing some color tests, so uh, here's a couple scenes that we need colored, Uh, just go ahead and apply some color to these, Um, and you know, just kind of having an internship being blown away that I was having a chance to work on what would eventually be on TV, you know, it blew my mind, it was, it was an incredible experience
0: you were working on Ting Hunger Force and Squidbillies which were two of the standout shows on Adult Swim. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't think anyone had ever seen anything like that on TV before your initial reaction. How did you feel about the project? What did you do on the project? And did you ever think it was bizarre?
1: You know, there was a—I I think the bizarrest thing about it um, was that I spent a lot of college while I was working, I would just pop something on in the background. You know, I think that college for me was a big chance to explore a lot of different mediums that, you know, I perhaps didn't get exposed to, uh, you know, it being in high school and when I was younger. So I would pop things on and just let them run in the background while I work. And if it was funny, I'd turn and watch. Or if it looked like the animation was really good, I would turn and look. And Aqua Teen Hunger Force was actually a show that when it came on was just so irreverent and crazy and it didn't make any sense and I just kind of I I latched on to that show in particular as being one that I would just play in the background uh, whenever I was working it had a great replay value the comedy was always fresh every time you watched it it just had a new original take um and so getting my first job working on uh Aqua Teen and working on Squidbillies. um was kind of surreal because, you know, I I remember interviewing at the Savannah uh, Career Fair and Craig Hardin and Brandon Betts and Todd Redner all came and they all worked at Radical Access at the time and uh, finding out that they were there, they were one of, you know, maybe three or four animation studios that had showed up. I knew that I wanted to talk to him, and I was really excited because I was like, I watch talk between all the time. I'm a big fan of what you do. And when I finally got the call for the internship, I was like, Oh yeah, this will be fun. But then actually stepping in there and seeing people working on the show on the screens that I'd watched for three or four years in college, um, it was incredibly surreal. And I remember taking to the process. Um, you know, it was almost like uh, a fish in water. You know, <laughs> it, it came naturally. Uh, the coworkers there were very welcoming, uh, very supportive. I think that's a big benefit of starting in a smaller studio too, is that you kind of get that extra personal attention and you get that personal love and care, especially as a student or somebody recently graduated. And uh, it was great. You know, Radical was I. I am in big debt and big thanks for for being welcomed to such an amazingly talented group of people uh, for my first job. Uh, and yeah, it was great. I loved it. Fond memories.
0: It sounds it's, like you had a great time. It kind of makes me wish that everyone who was wanting to be an animator or in any sort of job could just have the same experience that you did.
1: I, I would wish it upon anybody, you know. I, and I, I, like I said, if anybody's starting out for a first gig, you know, if your dream is to work at Disney or Nickelodeon or Pixar, you know, or DreamWorks or any of these big, big companies. Um, you know, go ahead and shoot for it. If that's, if that's your dream, if that's your goal, I think that there's a lot to be said about starting off at a smaller studio that again, you know, there is a room for growth at a small studio. if, If they're working on something that is at least partially successful, or they're working very hard towards success, there's more options for you to expand within that group or within that industry. If you're at a Nickelodeon, You know, to to reach your way to the top, you gotta have years of experience, you gotta be really good, you gotta know what you're doing. Um, Not to say that people at smaller studios don't know how to do that, uh, but you know, if they get three new shows all at once, Nickelodeon's got a staff of 200 people, you know, they're gonna pick from people that have been there for a while or really know their way around or have 20 years' experience. But if you're in a small studio and you get two new projects and there's 17 people, well, guess what? You were an animator yesterday, tomorrow you're an art director. Because you've shown resilience and you're excited and you're passionate, you got some good ideas. You know, there's kind of a looser flexibility to a smaller studio. And for me, that's been uh, an incredible way to learn how everything is done. You know, because in a small studio, you got to wear a lot of hats. You got to know how to animate. You got to know storyboard. You got to know how to do backgrounds. You got to know how to do layout. You got to know how to render. You got to know how to do 3D. Um, even you got to know how to do some production pipeline stuff. you got to maybe do some assistant production work. Um, at a smaller studio, you kind of get to try all those things on and, and see what you like and see what works best. And while at a bigger studio, you might get a more concentrated training or a more concentrated experience in one thing, which if that's what you want, hey, man, go for it. Shoot for it. Um, but, you know, there's something to say about starting off and getting that kind of buffet of trying out different things. Um, yeah, so um, that's, my, that's what I would say to anybody who's, who's maybe looking to start off or choose a career path after college or before college or you know, whatever point in life you're at. I, I'm a big proponent of, of the small studio.
0: So after you left Cartoon Network, uh, Turner or Doll Swim, mm-hmm. one of its many names, what did you do?
1: Um, it was interesting, I, I, I was still in school, and so I kind of had my, my fun summer at Cartoon Network and um, training and getting to meet everybody there, and it kind of fueled me going back into college, and it gave me a target to shoot for. I knew that uh, after spending even just a couple months, and even as brief as it was, I got a really great uh, exposure to what was required, uh, the kind of hours you had to put in, uh, how hard you had to work, um, what the team atmosphere and environment looked like, how leaders led in that environment. So, going back, and, and I did that internship when I was again a freshman or a sophomore, going back and having two more years of college, it really informed where I needed to focus. Um, you know, I think in college, you get a really great chance to evaluate yourself and see what you're made of and see where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are. So having that target to shoot for made the next two years of college for me uh, incredibly important because I had something that I was working towards. I had kind of a goal or a vision. That being a career with 2D animation, whether it was digital or whether it was hand-drawn, didn't really matter. Um, But kind of having that, uh, again, that target to shoot for was great. And so that's what I did. Yeah, the next two years after after Turner and after Cartoon Network was kind of hunkering down in college and looking for that next big thing.
0: And what would you say that next big thing was? Would it be perhaps a very cool, (laughs) very interesting, very avant-garde show that's coming up now?
1: Um, A pretty concentrated final two years in college, I knew that uh, Atlanta was going to be a a place to shoot for just because I knew that there was an animation scene there. And uh, that kind of led to putting out a bunch of lifelines, contacting Turner again. Um, At the time, I was dating a girl in Savannah, so I ended up just kind of staying there for a little bit. And that led to SCAD has a wonderful career fair. And, uh, and Nickelodeon was coming and uh, Radical Axis, being one of them came and landed the Radical Axis internship, which uh, went for four months. And after the four months, I said, you know what? Atlanta still feels like the place to be. And uh, from there, I actually ended up moving in with an incredibly talented animator and a buddy of mine named Jason Schwartz. And uh, Jason worked at Radical. And that actually ended up in a couple months, they picked up a new project, which was Archer. Um, and they said, hey, do you still want work? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, when I came on, they actually ended up shifting a bunch of people over to Archer. And that's where I worked on Squidbillies and uh, um, uh, Aqua Team for a while. But um, and actually, to be honest, when, when I came on, I think it was it was for a pilot. They were working on a pilot for something. Um, Archer came a little bit later. Uh, but uh, in, in moving in with a guy who worked in the industry, that was an incredibly uh, fortunistic way to continue my career uh, in, in animation. And then, like I was saying, it, it Radical... Um, uh, Matt Thompson and Adam Reed got picked up for the first season of Archer uh, and, and I think Adam and Matt were both uh, well known for working on adult swim shows, uh, shows like Sea uh, Lab 2021 and uh, Frisky Dingo, which again was another another show that I would have playing in the background when I worked in um, college so unfortunately they had uh, following Frisky Dingo they were working on the and the Exiticals Um, didn't get renewed. And I think that they didn't have a studio space. They didn't have computers. They didn't have equipment. So when they got the first season of Archer, they came to Radical, who did have a bunch of equipment and did have a bunch of space. And so they split season one with Radical. Uh, So not only did... Matt and Adam, who made Floyd County, they they kind of dissolved seventy thirty. Uh, although the spirit is very much alive, uh, they brought in the seventy thirty guys, and uh, along with the radical axis crew, they ended up working on season one. Uh, and I remember halfway through season one, they got the green light to do. I think they got originally lit for six episodes, and I think they picked up four more to go to ten. And I know that their schedule and their budget was incredibly tight. And I remember Craig coming up one day and saying, hey, the Archer team's behind. I was like Squidward at the time. He said, hey, the Archer team's behind. Does anybody here know Adobe Illustrator? And I raised my hand. I said, oh, yeah, totally. And I think at that point I had opened Illustrator four times ever in my life. Um, but I'm always I, I'm always ready to take on a new challenge, and I think that's a it's a good quality to have in this industry. Um, I said, "Oh yeah, I know it," and I uh, took a test, and I was incredibly nervous because I, I again didn't really know the program outside of basic interface. Um, and at the end of the testing, uh, you know, everybody on the radical side took the test. Uh, apparently, I performed the best, and I swung over and finished season one with the uh, with the seventy thirty guys, and it was just a blast. You know, it was. Not that that Squidbillies and and Aqua Team was not fun because it was incredibly fun, Uh, but there was something about the energy of starting a new season that was intoxicating. You know, everybody was in it together. Everyone was putting in this incredible effort. Everybody had incredible vision. You know, even though we were in this crazy crunch time, everybody was smiling and laughing and joking. And at the end of season one, uh, we ended up I remember them not knowing if they were going to get a season two, and uh, they did. They ended up getting a second season, and when that happened, they ended up moving out of Radical and getting their own studio space and getting their own equipment, and I remember being in limbo, because I just finished this season with these uh, really fun, uh, really talented group of people. Now they're gone, and it was back to Squids and back to Aquatoon, which was, again, fun, But again, I kind of, I I fell in love with that process with the way they did things. And so I remember calling up Matt Thompson after they were getting their second season because nobody told anybody what was happening. The only thing you knew is that they got a second season and they weren't going to be a radical anymore. And I thought, oh man, well, I'd I'd love to call Matt. So I called him and I said, hey, you know, season one was great. Uh, I know that you guys left and you're doing a second season somewhere. I don't know if I wasn't invited or if I, you know, I don't know. Can I, can I come work on season two? And he said, yeah, absolutely, we'd love to have you. You know, there was, there was a lot of uh, contractual things that were happening with where what employees could go where and how they would move. Um, and I think that there's a lot of respect within the industry of taking animators from one studio to another. Um, but since I reached out, he said, yeah, absolutely. If you'd love to come over, come on by, we'd love to have you. And then uh, from there, it was the swinging over to the Archer crew full time. And, uh, that is yeah, then it was, you know, after that, it seems like a whirlwind. Here we are, season six.
0: When it comes to Arch, hmm. can you tell us uh, what the story it, is about?
1: Uh, the way that uh, I think it's, it's described often is like if James Bond met arrest development. Uh, it's just kind of that office comedy, uh, where it's a big family, but it's a messed up family and it has its problems and it has its quirks. And this family just so happens to run international espionage, uh, you know, and they'll bicker and fight amongst themselves. But it's, it's incredibly smart, I think, you know, it is definitely more of an adult humor. But uh, it has some really intelligent fighting attached to it. And I think that's, that's really its strong suit. It is, it's, it's humor and it's comedy.
0: Who came up with Archer?
1: Um, I, it, from the best of my knowledge, it was Adam Reese. Um, I think that uh, I know that Adam is incredibly apt for traveling and having worldly adventures. Uh, you know, pretty much every season break, he goes to a new country and spends months there. Whether it's motor- doing motorcycle trips or whether it's just kind of backpacking through the country, um, I think that uh, from the story that I remember hearing, he was uh, walking through the hills or the mountains, and in Spain or somewhere in Europe. And he was reading a lot of uh, novels at the time, a lot of spy novels. And in reading the novels, you know, James Bond, for example, you know, you have the James Bond movie franchise. He's just kind of mean. And, you know, Sherlock Holmes, too. You know, in the the books, he was just kind of an angry drug addict. And these are the sides of these characters that get portrayed very differently in Hollywood. And And I think that Adam Reed kind of attached to this. You know, well, why not tell a story about these characters who are the messed up, flawed humans? And I think since he was reading spy novels, I think yeah, Archer I mean, was just born from right. those, uh, from that genre. He really I liked never it. James so Bond novel. I think that's but how it kind of came Sherlock. to be. Gosh, that guy—he's
0: kind of cruel. He's even to right. so yeah. Watson.
1: Have you you've seen the Sherlock, the BBC Sherlock? Oh, I, I tell you, if you got some free time in a Netflix account, you know, do yourself a favor and watch those because. There is a... Uh, I think an essence of the original Sherlock character that translates really well to screen you know it has this very uh, self involved in a kind of um, uh, not necessarily a sociopath but you know a very neurotic uh, very addictive personality in terms of his traits and his passions and his professions and it just translated very well and I think for me specifically I really love characters that are kind of deeply flawed, but are presented in a very different way uh, because it, it gives, I think, the writer and the storyteller a lot to dig into and it kind of has a lot of avenues to develop the character. Um, and I think that, you know, I think Adam Reed, for the most part, keeps Archer on a pretty steady course in terms of comedy. That's what it's supposed to be. It's not trying to be anything else. You know, but if you really... Got a chance to um, dig into these characters really in the show. I like would think so that you would successful. find
0: a lot of yeah, their complexities make them what very human and very relatable. Archer, I mean,
1: um, the and that's I think just another great thing of why Archer has been so shallow. successful.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. When I first started watching Archer, the characters came off as really shallow, mm. and then after I didn't, I, I hated it the first two episodes, but <laughs> I, I, I just. There was mm. nothing else on over the summer. So yeah. I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll watch it. Maybe it will get better. <laughs> the third episode, I was hooked. And I, it's just because it's making fun of itself. It doesn't yeah. take itself too seriously. But it, there's also just a lot of intelligence behind it as well. Yeah.
1: A few episodes Absolutely. Kind of, you know, I think that the mind of Adam Reed is very specific and very unique. Um, and I think it does take uh, a few episodes to kind of... Know, get the pacing and the voice and the humor uh, that he's trying to go for, but I think once yeah. you connect to I'm it,
0: um, it's hilarious. You know. I'm thinking of the two women in the office right now. Their names have slipped my mind at the moment. Oh my gosh! Those two! They are... Cheryl and Pam, probably. at yeah. every slight turn, but and they yep. come off as quite... They appear like they're stupid, but they're really smart, and they they played that um, up to their advantage.
1: Absolutely. You know, and I think, again, like I said, that comes, it comes back to the complexity of the characters. You know, if, if you kind of look at each character at face value, you can kind of stereotypically uh, label or name each character. You know, like Pam is the always horny um, always loves to eat, always up for a good time, you know, office employee, where Cheryl is kind of the ditzy, crazy, manic secretary. Um, but if you really get to know those characters, you know, uh, Pam especially is. There's a, there's a lot of depth there, and, and again, you know how deep Adam Reed goes into those characters might or might not be portrayed in different ways on sc- on screen, and I think for the viewer, you kind of can connect to the characters in your own way, which is great. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, Cheryl and Pam specifically, they are a. Can we uh, talk about
0: the animation! A very style?
1: comedic duo, and I think that they—they uh, they bring a lot of I comedy me. to I mean, the I'm series. Absolutely, a lot
0: of things. But one of the reasons why I also kept watching the series was because of the animation style it's very flat, and yet the backgrounds are, are those photographs, or?
1: Uh, Yeah, the the backgrounds themselves are actually 3D renders. Um, The first, uh, jeez, I I could say the first five seasons, we may even still uh, continue to use them, Um, uh, but we had an outside studio that would uh, do 3D work for us, and we would um, kind of uh, plan out or lay out the shots all in 3D. And uh, Trinity Animation is that is, is the studio. Um, and based on these 3D renders, uh, we could in that way build a set, lock the camera at specific angles, make sure in locking those camera angles that the perspective was going to be right that uh, the layout was going to be consistent. And if we needed any new shots, all you had to do was create a new camera and lock it and then get that 3D render to um, our you know, it, that process certainly has its difficulties, like any process, uh, but it was a way to get a very solid base to our background painters who would then take these 3D models. And, you know, I tell you what, season six and five and six. The backgrounds have so just looked so, 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 so good. Um, after you know five seasons of it, uh, now on our sixth, you know you learn some things, you learn some tricks, you learn some techniques, and you know they got it down to the science. Uh, given the amount of time that they have per episode to do it, um, they really work some magic on it. And yeah, that was the contrast of the characters who are very graphic and very stark and bold with their black outlines and. You know the amount of detail that goes into the costumes and goes into the characters. Um, you know, you have that trade-off when it comes to animation. It's hard to have anything that detailed to have super high-quality animation, but our animation team works some amazing, amazing things with uh, these files and with these rigs and with everything else. What they're able to achieve, you know, given the pipeline, given the style, is Far and away, you know, some of the most creative, idea was uh, some of the most inventive, and uh, some of the slickest looking animation on television, I mean, in my opinion.
0: Whose idea was it to have this different animation style?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it was the brainchild of Neil Holman, uh, who's the who's the art director on the show. Uh, I think that it certainly it was a team process in order to get the pilot done. Uh, as I was mentioning before, it's a lot of the original seventy thirty crew. Um, you know, uh, Casey Willis, Eric Sims, um, Chad Hurd, uh, Matthew Branham. Um, you know, I'm, I know I'm probably missing a, a handful. Um, uh, but that original crew uh, kind of worked hard to put together uh, the pilot. And so I think a lot of the original style was probably a lot of. When I mean, you look at C Lab and you look at Frisky Dingo, it, it was more or less a lot of that same style just translated up to a new. level um, almost and so I think they since that was what they had known and worked in practice they just kind of refined it uh, for Archer and and, you know if you you hold up now screenshots of season one compared to season six you know a stark stark contrast in terms of style and the improvements and the quality you know just it, it continue, the, the the concept for the style was always there. In season one, it may not have been executed at the highest level, but man, oh man, if, you know, I would challenge anybody to point to another show to that has the same polish and panache that, something that, 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 that Archer brings um, to, to animation. I mean,
0: I'm trying to think of something that could match Archer. And I want to stick in the same uh, mature cartoon, adult cartoon area. I mean, you have American Dad, Family Guy, Simpsons. Yep. I mean, you have the classics like that. But really, I mean, are, those are still done traditionally, more or less, yep. arguably. But they just, yep. they look like they look. They don't have a artistic style. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, no, get that wrong. <laughs> Scratch that, viewers. They do have an artistic <laughs> style, but it's cartoony. Huh. Um and you yeah. can describe it as cartoony, while Archer, I mean, it got some, you have like a magazine-like look going on. Yeah. I mean, you just have yeah. a lot to look at.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I think for, again, yeah, for yeah, Archer, you'll have, nature, um, specifically, you'll have a look and a feel that is, again, yeah, very graphic and in and its nature. Yeah. Um, shows. Uh, and, and it, it and brings a very funny it brings a, a quality especially that, like you were saying with uh, Family Guy and American uh, Dad, okay. great shows, uh, and they're and they right, and very season. funny. I <laughs> uh, watched a lot of it.
0: Your current job title on Archer is illustrator, right?
1: I am currently an illustrator, yes. Um, uh, so uh, there is, there's a lot of different levels and departments uh, within the studio. Um, Kim, for example, is the, the background director, and uh, that's the team that kind of handles doing all the backgrounds on the show and um, getting the 3D renders from Segway, 3D department. Uh, the 3D department will be in charge of making all the 3D backgrounds and setting the camera and getting the renders. Um, then we have, uh, you know, you kind of go up to the top of the food chain, yet Adam Reed is the one sole person who writes every script um, gets, uh, you know, gets some help from the other producers on staff. Uh, but, uh, you know, by and large, it's mostly all from his mind and all his words. Uh, That goes for our storyboard team, who will kind of do all the storyboards for it, Uh, Kevin Mellon, uh, Justin Wagner. Uh, Cassidy and uh, Gloriel, part of the storyboard team Adam Ford, who actually helped me on uh, Chosen uh, doing art direction on Chosen, all do some really great storyboard work Uh, once those storyboards are done, they go to the 3D department as the backgrounds, and the rest of it goes to illustration Uh, and what illustration ends up doing is looking at all the storyboards uh, breaking down, shot by shot, act by act, scene by scene Uh, just how many characters they are what costumes they're wearing uh, what angles they're standing at what props they're interacting with Uh, very detailed combing of the entire episode, and they make a task list. Uh, that list goes to the designers, uh, who this season is uh, um, Kelton Ham, uh, Stephen Selinski, and uh, Ron Stakes, uh, doing some wonderful designs. When I did uh, when I started off earlier, it was Chi Duong was doing some designs in the illustration department. Um, she did a fantastic job. She swung over to Chosen and helped me out do some lead designs there. Uh, uh, but from there, once that list is made, it's handed out to you know nine. Anywhere between 19 to 27 different illustrators, uh, and they'll do anywhere from 400 to 1,200 new drawings an episode. Um, and, you know, the and, time you know, that we have to do that range is range very range short. You know, it's usually uh, or uh, the average and, is about an act uh, in a week. And an act can range anywhere from 80 drawings to 250 drawings or more. And depending on the episode, if it's and, a very ambitious episode, you know, say, for example, Archer gets into a fist fight. Uh, You know, you have him in his standing regular default suit body, but he gets a bottle broken across his head. Well, cool. Now we need to add some cuts to his face and some glass in his hair. But then he keeps fighting. and breaks his nose. So now we got to add a broken nose to it. Uh, But then he keeps fighting and gets a black eye. So now we got to add a black eye to it. So depending on how detailed and, and ambitious the script is, it will depend on how many actual drawings we need to do. Uh, which, again, is a wonderful challenge, and it can be a curse, you know, because it, sometimes it'll push us right up to the deadline, and we really got to work hard and work economically to get the show done. Uh, once all that's kind of taken care of, though, uh, it goes to animation, and animation takes all these drawings, which are done in uh, Adobe Illustrator, uh, once which, again, it, I, I take all these would challenge anybody to find another like show that does most puppet, of its key animation in uh, Adobe, Adobe Illustrator. On screen. Uh, they, 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 they uh, but once animation get it, gets it, they, they kind of take all these the pieces that are drawn more or less like a digital puppet, uh, and they make it move on screen. They, they kind of give it the last, I would say, the last final touch. episode will go to sound. It'll go to the sound department
0: and uh, they apply the kind of final sweetening, and, and uh, from that point, you, you pretty Great. much have a locked episode that pretty much wraps it up. Sweet. So, it's just out of curiosity, does the writer work there in the studio with you?
1: Oh, no, you know, like, like I was saying, uh, Adam Reed is, is more or less the sole writer. So, in his process, he's kind of I mean, really like I, I would the mythical really beast of yeah. the yeah. studio, yeah. you know, the magical yeah. Unicorn, yeah. unicorn who yeah. will... Uh, show up every once in a while and deliver his scripts and then kind of vanish back into the mess. fantastic uh, Yeah, yeah, kind of just. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, you know, I can't really speculate. I, I would assume that Seth, with all the shows he has now, must have uh, at least a writers' room. But uh, Adam Reed, as far as I know, locks himself in a room and writes them all, and then. These fantastic scripts show up and then we kind of, that's, that's been the process in the pipeline for all six seasons now. You You never know what you'll find at the bottom of the beer bottle. never know. know. The working hard. You know, I've never seen people come in more (laughs) dedicated and more ready to go. I do. I mean, I... Yeah, I was gonna say it is. I it is certainly exaggerated. You know, everybody everybody here does work very hard, and and with the working hard, you know, comes the playing hard. You know, I've never seen a group of people come in more dedicated and more ready to go uh, from nine o'clock to what is supposed to be six, but is oftentimes eight, nine, ten o'clock, sitting at their desks, plugged in, working hard. Um, And it's because of all of that hard work. You know, coming in on the weekends. Vacation is short, all that stuff, it's because of that that we're able to, you know, on Friday at 8 o'clock, you know, cut loose and enjoy the company of everybody at the studio. Um, because I think that in order to balance out that what can oftentimes be painful overtime and, and, and painful crunch time, you got to have those times too where you laugh and you, and you blow off steam and, you know, if you don't have that... and, and what is very true from Kim coming in and Adam coming in and talking is that it is like a family. You know, this is a bunch of people who sacrifice a lot to be able to make the show look as good as it does. And so it's absolutely a family. And I even extend that personally beyond Floyd County, the animation industry in general here in Atlanta is very much a family and it's very supportive and and the talent and the personality the kindness and uh, the openness to sharing and learning you know, definitely getting very, you know, romanticized in the concept, but I it, it kind of reflects the truth of the um, industry here in Atlanta um, and, and how strong it's, it is. It's it is, it's, it's one big family, and, and I think that's
0: that similar what, to what I've heard kind of comes through
1: in the content studios, that comes out of Atlanta. It, you can kind of see that,
0: quite how strong uh,
1: that shines through. I
0: don't, that's quite interesting. It's very similar to what I've heard from other studios, but... In effect, it's also different from what I've also heard about other studios at the same time. From some animators who I talk to, no one who's been on the show, though, they say it can be a very stressful environment, that that family isn't there. Sure.
1: And I, I do think it'll probably vary there from studio to um, studio. I, I oftentimes uh, wonder is, I at bigger studios studio or at larger studios, together, what the sense the of community level. is. No what happens, um, we're gonna certainly we're here together, at we're Floyd County, together. Um, um, there is a sense of family. Yeah, I mean, like, absolutely. 100%. There uh, is very very a sense, good. I think, for a majority of the studio of we're all in this together, we're all in the same boat, no matter what happens, we're gonna get through it together. We're gonna see it through to the end together. and there's unexpected delays. And yeah, I, you know, I, I can't right really speak beyond my experiences here in Atlanta. In weeks uh, a day off. Um, but the one kind of saving grace, especially bonds, uh, working you know, in an industry which I think is universal, that road, there is crazy crunch time and there are like crazy hours, and there's unexpected delays right your before your deadline space. that and requires you work four weeks straight without a day off. It's in those moments that you kind of form those bonds. And you know, whether it's a studio-wide bond that the whole everyone feels like a family or it's just within your department. Again, you know, the, the smaller studios, they have, I think that there's a an atmosphere and an environment to, uh, to foster those relationships amongst your coworkers uh, because everybody's in it together because everybody gets it. Um, and you know, amongst the bigger studios, you can't really speculate on the sense of community there. Uh, but I do know that uh, here in Atlanta, here at Floyd County, everyone's very connected because they've gone through, whether it's stressful times or tight deadlines or whatever, we've all gone through it. We've all lived through it. And because of that, I think, forms some very strong bonds, which
0: as an artist, you got to
1: hope last into other projects in the future or, or new organizations or new studios or whatever. You know, it's just the process that is the most fun, I think.
0: It also seems to me that during this crunch time, you learn a lot about who you are and what your abilities are and also what you can do in a very, very short period of time. Is that true?
1: No, absolutely. Not only do you see what you're made of, but you see what your team is made of. Um, I think probably almost universally uh, in this industry, the people that will fall down and not only present creative problem solving, that that not only present uh, a sense of uh, perseverance and um, determination, uh, it's the ones who will fall down and get back up again and keep fighting. Uh, Those are the people that Remain successful, and it's my hope. I think that in in running any studio, that you try to foster an environment where, while failing can lead to a an an incredible setback and can be detrimental to a pipeline or process, that take risks because that should be expected. That. You don't expect to fail, well, but you should expect that there are setbacks. setbacks. And in so that kind of acceptance sense, that that's so going to be to the to culture and that's going to be the environment, that there's a freedom to fail, that there's a freedom to take risks. Because when you take that risk, you realize, there's well, this could lead to a setback. So I need to take this risk in a calculated sense. I need to take this risk in a way that I think will benefit the studio or um, the pipeline or the process as a whole. Um, But again, in in knowing the truth and kind of accepting that, there's a freedom to take risks, which which I'm a big proponent of.
0: And on that note, I think that is a good place to end this interview. But before we do, I have to ask you the question I ask everyone who is a guest on the Tune and Talk podcast. Do you have a... Anything to declare.
1: Okay, well, hold on. Do, are we okay? So just, like, declare this, like a phrase, a word, word, a is, statement. Dude, uh, uh, so what kind of declaration of are you looking for? Past, if you're in an animation studio, past well, six o'clock. Oh, that's really great. And a co worker's walking oh, around yeah, with I a beer. The it's the almost people. a universal recipe for dance party.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, Adam. I can assure you that during the recording of this interview that no alcohol had been imbibed by either the guest or the host. What you listened to was pure joy and laughter from the endorphins felt by the people involved by having a fantastic time. So there's my drug PSA for the day. Thank you once more, Adam, for being not only a good sport, but just being a fantastic guest to have on the show. I would love to have you again on the future and maybe even some of your coworkers and we can maybe have a dance party. I don't know what happened after I left, but I hope you guys had a fantastic dance party because, you know, dance parties are fun, especially when they're spontaneous. So if you are interested in learning more about Adam, Floyd County Productions or Archer, I will be posting more links in the show notes, which will be located in two locations. One is the official Tune & Talk website, which is www.tuneandtalk.com, or Fanboy Nation, which is the official network that Tune & Talk is part of. And Fanboy Nation is located at www.fanboynation.com. So if you are interested in connecting with me or Adam, I will post his contact information in the show notes, but you can always connect with me in several ways. One is you can send me an email at tuneandtalk at gmail.com, or you can connect with me via Twitter, which is at Story Sequence, which is my own personal handle, or the direct handle for the show, which is at Tune and Talk. You can always connect with me on our Facebook page. I don't have a lot of housekeeping things to tell you about at the moment. I've been really busy writing and gathering some research sources for um, my book about Lotta Reiniger. I'm trying to come up with some ways to critically approach her career as well as place her in the grander scheme of animation. While it's apparent that comes across in the biography, Putting it in perspective with the greater animation industry as a whole is a bit difficult. And again, once more, I have to translate some more German! Sehr gut! Prima! Tall. Yeah, lots of fun there. But I won't bore you with my adventures in translation land! So, um, also I've been preparing for Dragon Con 2015, which is my, one of my big conventions of the year. And I'm very, very excited about what's going on. I'll talk about more of Dragon Con 2015 in episode 18. So, a lot of stuff is happening. A lot of things are eating up my time. But I can tell you, I am getting myself slowly organized. And it's taking a little time. But I'm proud of it, and such is the life of a writer, and such is what happens when you're trying to make it as a freelancer, but, you know, everything's good, and I am so appreciative of anyone who is listening to the show, and you know what? Please always feel free to contact me. I am always, always, always interested in your opinions as well as your comments and critiques of the show, and I also want to hear about who you want on the show as well. So... That brings us to an end of another episode of the Tune and Talk podcast. And now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go read some comic books. I know. I get to read some comic books and some resources about the early days of animation in the 20th century. Fantabulous. I'll catch you in episode 18, everyone.